been running in the same circles and kicking up the same dirt, maybe even since before we were old enough to drink. I, I mean, it's been a while, so. Well, yeah, from Kansas City, what is that, like 12? Are you a good I, drum tech? <laughs> okay, all right, fair enough, well, fair enough, fair enough. That was kind right, of yeah. I did an Oprah tour, yeah. It was so a, there's, uh, okay, let's review now. Buses, yeah. trucks, and catering. Yeah, there were trucks and catering. That wasn't a tour then. I'm sorry. That was <laughs> okay. just a series of one-offs, Kevin. And Mike Inez is is just a sweetheart, sweetheart of a guy. You know, but I had him it, on. He said he didn't like you. Hey, this is Party Like a Rockstar podcast, and I'm your host Joel. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese on the market today. They're lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher, perev, and 100% vegan. If you like what you see, check out the next video. If you like this video, please subscribe and like by clicking the little round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or our other guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle is joelrody. If you haven't already read my book, Memoir of a Roadie, it's now available through Amazon and paperback Kindle or as an audiobook. I hope you enjoy the show. Robert Scoville is my first guest. He's mixed over 4,000 events in the last 40 years, aging you, <laughs> that he's worked in the industry. Some of his acts that he's worked for are Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Matchbox 20, Jackson Brown, Rush, Def Leppard, Tesla, Alice Cooper, Toto, Air Supply, The Go-Go's, Foreigner, and Prince. He's currently on the Here and Now tour working for Kenny Chesney. Are we still doing that? Yeah. It okay. feels like at least 5,000 shows by now. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're right in the middle. Of, actually, we're not in the middle. of. We're coming up toward the end. we got about uh, eight shows left, I think. One month oh, okay. to go. Been a good run. It's been an incredible run, unbelievable. I mean, what Wait. a what an incredible luxury cruise, man! That is a, eight shows is... one month. Yeah, yeah. That's, you heard that's... me right. <laughs> Tough there. That's really hard. It's really not a tour either. It is a tour, Kevin. It is no, absolutely no, no. a tour. We have buses, trucks, and catering, so that makes it a tour. Sorry. <laughs> My second guest <laughs> is Kevin Cassidy, a Malvi production manager and stage manager. <laughs> he's worked for tom petty and the heartbreakers allison chains ozzy osbourne soundgarden bette midler iron maiden van halen hank williams jr neil diamond fleetwood mac paul simon jethro tall cheap trick metallica and john mayer he recently got off the road with bon jovi and he's currently on the road with def leppard and motley Crue. so welcome fellas um thank you cool to be yeah. here yeah good to be here good to be here. i mean present company Excluded, yeah. you know, you know what I'm saying. So, I feel honored. I feel honored. So, first question here is: with all your spare time, this stuff here. I was reading Robert the Alcatraz Swim Challenge, the Great Wall Marathon, World's Toughest Mountain. You just, you're the, you're the most unlazy roadie. I, I, are you still doing this? Crap? I mean, it's kind of nutty. I, I wait to be lazy until I'm on the road. I mean, I'm sure Kevin can verify this. You know, that's. <laughs> yeah. I, I have pictures that will verify that. Is that where you guys met? Was on this Great Wall Marathon? Uh, <laughs> yeah. No, uh, no. I was it in is a shark not. suit in Alcatraz out in the bay following them <laughs> is this really like code names for tours or <laughs> <laughs> right well it's funny you know, you're reading off our resumes and uh, you know really one of the first times we worked that was the first time we actually worked together right kevin was it on shooting star 
Um, I mean, I we, wanna, obviously yeah, we both grew I, up in Kansas City, so we we knew each other. I I think we actually did some some local uh, music festivals where uh, mm, uh, that sounds right. Sound, um, which which we call it. What uh, was it? Sound, sound, not sound image. Uh, who was uh, it? Superior was sound. Superior sound. Yeah, superior yeah. sound. Uh, but I think they were the audio uh, vendor, and and the company I was working for, Sect, was uh, the lighting vendor. But yeah, seriously, we we actually worked together uh, on a band called Shooting Star, which is a, a regional act that should have been bigger than what they were. Way bigger. Yeah. Are you guys yeah. both still in Kansas City? No, uh, I am. I, I moved back in 2000. Uh, I took over. Uh, I, I left the Obi company in 2000, and and took over uh took over a production management uh job at starlight theater here in kansas city sure i know it yeah oh cool yeah i think we've kind of been running in the same circles and kicking up the same dirt maybe even since before we were old enough to drink i i mean it's been a while so well yeah, it's, from it's... kansas city what is that like 12 <laughs> well it depends i think you get well i used to work at a bar in kansas city that served 3.2 beer uh, you know it was a play called a place called players rock showcase i'm sure kevin came into there every now and then <laughs> wow oh man i just, i can't believe i just thought of that oh my gosh there's so many dark memories coming so were you mixing now. like you were mixing at the bar. Is that where you started in the beginning? Oh, I was mixing no, drinks. No. Yes, I was. Yeah, uh, yeah, I was the bartender. Drinks. He was. He was the drum tech for for Shooting Star, the band that uh, we started with when oh. when I first started knowing. And Mr. monitor engineer. Don't leave out that important. No, really. Qualification I, there. No. Are you a good I, drum tech? <laughs> Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. That was kind right. of an yeah, awkward, yeah, awkward yeah. silence. Uh, let me call Steve Thomas right now and yeah. see what he says. Well, you can call Kenny Arnoff too, because I was his drum tech for a while too. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna say uh, some of these other ones. Oprah Winfrey. What did you do for Oprah, Kevin? Uh, yeah, uh, Kevin. What did you do for? Yeah. Oprah? What did you do for Oprah? Uh, lighting. Yeah, it's a lighting crew chief. It was a, a huge lighting crew. There's two of us. Uh, <laughs> we had a front and back truss, and it was an awesome tour. Uh, Wait a minute! You did an Oprah tour. I did an Oprah tour. Yeah, it was. So a, there's uh, okay. Let's review now. Buses, yeah. okay. trucks, and catering. Yeah, <laughs> there were trucks and catering. That wasn't a tour then. I'm sorry. That's okay. just a series of one-offs, Kevin. It was. Uh, right. Yeah, well, there's a whole bunch of one-offs. <laughs> it was awesome. We uh we loaded in, traveled on a Thursday. It was like doing country music. Traveled on Thursday, loaded in on Friday. And then the uh, show was uh, Saturday morning at 8 a.m. and uh, it was an all-day sort of thing. Every arena was sold out to the to the Gunnels, uh, and it was over about yeah 4:30, 5 o'clock, depending upon how long Oprah talked uh, every Saturday. And uh, we're back in the hotel by 7 o'clock Saturday night and flew home on Sunday. Oh, tough kid. So what? She's just inter- doing her interviews and talking to people and stuff. Yeah, it was. Um, it was a uh, well, it was sponsored by Weight Watchers, uh, and she, I guess, has a a financial stake in Weight Watchers as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was a kind of a, a self enrichment weekend sort of thing. Uh, but it was it was good. It was you know really really cool. They had a bunch of inspirational speakers, and they always had a celebrity out, um, ranging anywhere from um, uh, Michelle Obama to uh, say oh. The Rock. You know, so it's it somebody different every weekend. And, and uh, Weight Watchers, this is for Batty, who just cares about catering. It's, a <laughs> buddy. it's all, all he really talks about. Yeah. I don't know if you guys know Batty, but um, 
But did they give you Weight Watchers or did you? Uh, it was actually the catering was was structured around a Weight Watchers m- meal. I was menu. just going to ask it. I had to and, ask. Yes, and oh. it was really good. <laughs> I got to say, I, mean, I did actually. And did you I drink did. or do you drink? I don't know. I I don't. Uh, so uh, only pretty much only when I'm around Robert, and it forces me to consume. Yeah, it's necessary. Whole. It's necessary. Yeah, for it's the only way that I can on. really get by. Again, yeah. Kansas City <laughs> thing, right? <laughs> Well, that's an interesting tour. I like this. And then uh, I do like Jethro Tull a lot. I actually was hoping to get Ian on here, but I guess he, he did an interview. I think it was on one of my buddies' podcasts, believe it or not. And he, he talked about how, like, nobody really needs a roadie. He could do his own guitar or whatever. Uh, was it on left sets? It was It was on uh, my buddy Darren Paltrowitz. I don't know if he said it on that one or not, but well, he, he stopped said that doing on, interviews. Uh, it wasn't on the left sets thing. as well. It, it was a, a killer yeah. podcast. I loved it. Wow. I don't know. I think he's great, but it would have been fun to talk to that guy. I would have asked him some random shit, but, yeah. <laughs> but was it yeah, a good I was tour? A big Jethro Tull fan when I was a kid. Boy, yeah, was I was a, too. I mean, boy, I, I saw him at uh, fantastic. Arrowhead stadium. They had uh, the big television. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was just a big video. It wasn't even a video wall. It was a video screen upstage, you know, back then with, with projectors, but um, the tour itself, we did the crest of the nave tour. Um, and it was, it was awesome. It was a really good time. Um, yeah, band, everybody was, was really pleasant to get along with and, and, uh, just in general, a good time that the, the funny thing is, is that album, uh, I think it was MTV. Um, uh, one of the, one of the, uh, new categories, uh, I think in night, that was about 87, 88, somewhere in there. One of the new, uh, categories for their award show was, uh, best heavy metal uh record yeah and, they won over metallica right yeah and they like they like beat metallica and anthrax and you know he's yeah, never lived it, was, it down either yeah, yeah. Well, i had bobby schneider on early on he came yeah. on with bob dates and yeah. uh and schneider was saying they all dressed up they were sure they were going to win and then metallica lost yeah i, I feel yeah. like that was it to to yeah throw tall in there everybody's yeah. like well, to me, it's kind of the biggest tribute to Jethro Tull because it means they couldn't find a category for him. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just kind of, I don't want to say empathy or sympathy vote, but it was one of those things where it's like, wow, Tull deserves an award. Let's let's stick him somewhere. And okay, let's go heavy metal. Let's give it to give him that one. You know? I'm still on a regular basis, basis uh, thick as a brick, regularly. Have to listen to it. Yeah. Still love everything about it. It's great. Yeah. And oh, the, only did two I, the first time I saw Tull was in St. Louis uh, when I was living there. This was probably... 74 maybe 75 and i remember them advertising that it was the first time there was ever going to be flown sound in keel auditorium in st louis i I just for some reason that stuck in my head i i just always remember the advertisements about that on kc radio and it was you know it was a a big mono system that was flown up right above the center of the stage it was like unbelievable sound quality at jethro tull for flown sounds so were you like a sound guy when you were a kid kid like before touring were you like trying to get your speakers sounding good robert or yeah yeah. So why did yeah, you do was, the drum tech thing? It was just a gig because you were a kid for a few minutes, or? Well, no, I mean, I was, I, I wanted to be a musician for the longest time, for sure, and I was drums or yeah, drums, and then kind of got, uh, you know, introduced to the production side of it at a really pretty young age, and really just kind of said, no, that's what I want to do right there. Oh. That's yeah, it, that. he really couldn't hack it as a sound guy when he first started, so <laughs> he had to find you know an alternative. <laughs> 
Yeah, Are you the one who a, told him? Became a backline guy. <laughs> you know, it actually is a little more than that. You know, at that, I, I mean, I, I've said this before. At that point in the game, you know, in the late '70s for sure. Like if you know, as an audio guy, if you could get good drum sounds, like whether it was in the studio or live, you were going to work. I mean, you were going to find work if you if you could do that. And that was kind of my forte. That's where I was. I was pretty. What was your that. first nationwide tour? Uh, shooting star for sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, and we were guys... out opening for whew, all kinds of people. I mean, it was it was a great way to make connections and move on from there. Yeah. That's for sure. Did you guys do your second tour together too, or that's where you start splitting up and doing other stuff? Uh, I, Robert, you took off and like went and did a John Cougar or something. Yeah, I went to Mellon Camp right? after Shooting Star. I did one. I did the Pink Houses thing with uh, Mellon Camp as as Aronoff's drum drum tech drum roadie. And then went to work for a company called Electrotech, uh, which was formerly TFA Electrosound uh, out of Canoga Park. And that's when I really got all the sound work. They didn't need drum roadies there. They needed audio people there. In L.A.? In Los Angeles. Yes. And yet they still hired you. Yes. Yes. Wow. <laughs> Despite your recommendations. Yes. <laughs> what is virtual sound check and Melita track archiving workflows and... Multi, oh, the smart guy stuff going on, right? Yeah, those are all things that he's made up and reshaping the good. role of concert audio that I have here. For some reason, I feel like I'm going to be asked to validate all of this right now. Is it? Is Only it Kevin cares. I don't. I'm. I'm, I'm waiting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, virtual sound check is a way of uh, pretty accurately sound checking in an arena or a club. It doesn't matter where you do it. Uh, without the band present. So um, you basically can operate the mixing console uh, with multi-track audio that was recorded from a previous night and get the room to sound the way you want, get the PA to sound the way you want. What does uh, this mean for roadie bands? <laughs> Are you trying, well, you're trying to cut the fun out of the job? <laughs> see, you jump right to roadie bands. You know, I can tell you this. There were a whole lot of video directors that were really pissed off at me about it because... It killed all their great footage of bands sound checking, you know, because bands didn't need to come in and sound check anymore. I remember the guy that does all the Petty's filming. He was like, "I can't get any, I can't get any time with them on stage because you're doing the damn virtual sound check thing," you know. So, did they? So do yeah, sound we check have that Petty's team. What's that? Petty did sound check all the time, or no? We did sound checks, uh, you know, like regular sound checks up until well, really up until 2005 when this got this concept of virtual sound check got released as an actual feature on a on a digital console and petty got exposed to it and because i was i i, I kind of i mean i feel weird saying it but i kind of invented it so i spent about 10 years working on the process and refining it and then once the thing went fully digital with the avid or the at that time digital design consoles it was part of a whole package and I never showed it to him in those previous years. We just did it, and we would do virtual sound check and a regular sound check. Wow! And so then one, Kevin and, more time to sleep in the afternoons. Well, they need focus time. They, I mean, they're always they need more time to focus in and really rehearse their cues. So they <laughs> they need this time really desperately. So yeah. But once we got to 2005, we never did another live sound check. Maybe one or two over time for the next 12 years, you know. Yeah, I, I think part of that, too, was as as the band stopped uh, using buses and started flying, um, they they stopped coming in. And I, I think part of the 
part of them doing sound checks was was driven by the fact that they were bored in the afternoon and they were sitting, you know, at, at the venue in a bus. So yeah. in, in the early days, they were always around kind of lurking and and, uh, you know, there's they might as well get up and play. Uh, yeah. Virtual it, sound check kind of eliminated that. And... It, yeah. In all honesty, I, I think it's brilliant, Robert. And I hate to say that. I hate to give you I a know compliment. it pains you. No, <laughs> it really it pains does. you. But but it, I don't understand why it wasn't done sooner. It just seems so logical. Because you didn't have digital recording. You didn't have big track count digital recording available to those positions. Hmm. Right. Not until 1994, really. Right when I started with Wildflowers is when uh, the multi, the modular digital multi-track came online. And you could have, I mean, if I wanted to do 48 tracks of digital recording pre-1994, I mean, it was a quarter of a million bucks to do it. Whoa. I mean, it was... I mean, it was expensive, and then once we got more to than the Kevin gets per tour. Well, it, well, per night at least. Per but night. Well, I think yeah. you might want to check his lifetime aggregate. I, it's probably <laughs> maybe just approaching two forty. I'm going to guess maybe two thirty-five. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I'm kind of with Kevin there. You know, kind of one of those things that I think no one saw coming with virtual sound check is that, especially for a band, you know, that it was long in the tooth as Petty was over that time. I mean, they had been together twenty years by the time I joined them. Hmm. almost anyway i think it extended their career i, I really do i i have no qualms saying that because they didn't have this grind of coming to the gig every day and hanging out in some dank dressing room and you know having to listen to opening acts while they wait to go on stage that that was not in place anymore you know they could just hang out at the hotel relax no rush to get over to the gig i mean there were nights where they would, I mean, but we were doing line check and changeover, and they weren't in the building yet. You know, the bus would pull up, they'd walk off yeah. and, and go up on the stage. So it made for really good performances, really kind of on fire performances. Honestly, it did. And uh, so I, I, yeah, you know, I, obviously I'm a proponent of it, but I think it's a really cool thing. We're using it out on Chesney now. Same sort of thing, man. People are just kind of going, "Gosh, this is easy out here when we don't have to have sound checks every day." You know. I had Corey on here from Living Color. Uh, Stephen Huss brought him on, and if you guys know Stephen, but uh, Corey said that he used his sound check day like every day, and they go as long as they can because they actually write their music during sound check. Peace. Yeah, totally. If that's what you want to do with it. Yeah. Did you guys have that with any tours? I'd never heard that before. Well, uh, let, me, let me think. I mean, as back a stage here. manager, that'd be a pain in the ass. On stage all day. <laughs> God. Well, there's some truth in that. Yeah, if they're going to hang out for hour upon hour upon hour, yeah, that would get pretty daunting on a tour, no doubt about it, in my mind. It's rough. Cut into Kevin's afternoon massage yeah, and, my and, nap. And, and bubble bath time. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Bubbles. Well, I mean, we're kind of doing something similar like uh, that on Chesney right now. And, you know, it's funny how it kind of turns around. You know, the band was really excited about, oh, you're the virtual sound check guy. We, uh, this is great. Well, we want to give that a try, all this stuff. After two months of it, they were like, oh, we kind of need something to do during the day. Uh, how about we come over and record a sound check record? You know, let's do that. So, you know, over, over about three, four shows now, they've come over and, and are recording all these cover tunes. <laughs> that they might end up releasing on a record. So, you know, grass is always greener on the other side, I guess. Yeah. How about you? How'd you climb the ladder, Kevin? Why'd you go into stage manager and then PM? Um, well, I, I think it's kind of a logical move. Um, you know, I, I, I'm doing lighting on, on Def Leppard Motley. Oh. Um, that's always been my forte. But um, yeah, I, recently I've been doing all the Van Gogh stuff as a production manager. 
uh, Van Gogh and Monet and uh, doing more stage management stuff. As soon as I finish um, Motley Crue, you prefer Leopard, Van Gogh's early period or late period? <laughs> his, his blue period? His current period, for sure. Blue yeah. period is Picasso. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> well, that's in that's in Vancouver. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, as soon as I finish this, I'm going to go do uh, three weeks with uh, Journey as stage manager as well. Oh, okay. So uh, that that... It's kind of selfish, but it dumps me in Honolulu, and I've got uh, 30 days off that I'm going to going to stay at a, a a buddy's condo up on Haleiwa on the North Shore for 30 nights. So there's a good chance I'm not going to hear from you for a while. Is that what you're telling a, me? during the month of October? You can oh. probably write me off your calendar. Oh, that's that's so, so good. That's what was so it like good. doing the Van Gogh Monet stuff? It's pretty easy. Where you don't have anybody yelling at you. You take your own time to focus on stuff, and it's kind of artsy fartsy. People think you actually have talent. Maybe. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> maybe i so uh, wish i'd have said that <laughs> i wish i'd have said yeah that. it's it's good actually it's 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 um it's it's kind of both corporate and both uh rock and roll sort of thing they they brought us in and, and uh my team of guys to to make it more roadworthy and and portable from city to city so it's it's kind of the rock and roll side but as far as um dealing with convention centers and and the type of venues that it's doing it's more corporate um, so it's, it's, it's kind of the best of both worlds for me. Um, but you know, I just I've, picture I've, like these Motley Crue, Def Leppard guys, just like, who's this new band, this Monette guys. <laughs> this Monette, <laughs> yeah. Why are you busy, Kevin? <laughs> yeah. Do we have a sound check? We'll do a virtual sound check. <laughs> I think it's definitely going to be virtual with Monet. That's for sure. yeah. What's the next one? They're doing Picasso now? Uh, they actually do have a Picasso. It's in, uh, it, I think it's still in Vancouver. Uh, but they, yeah, they have a Picasso, a Monet. Uh, we have a Monet that's sitting in uh, Honolulu right now. Um, we've also got uh, an Avengers that's it's, uh, out. Um, they're tying in a whole bunch of stuff. There's a, a virtual King Tut that's uh, now out. Oh, uh, that's it's in neat. Washington, D.C. Um, so there's there's a whole series of spinoff stuff that's uh, this this new kind of immersive experience. They, when they when they initially did the first show, they did it in Miami. Uh, they did it as kind of a, a test run to see if it was it was you know going to be scalable, and um, it it sold a bunch of tickets and they kind of went oh maybe this hey. is something that'll work yeah so uh, the first started, one was Van Gogh yeah the first one was a Van Gogh in Miami um, and it it's it took off it sold a, a buttload of tickets and uh, yeah you know, we've we've scaled it for for larger venues now. And uh, that's what we troop around. But there's there's four or five different productions of it that are all different production companies. And uh, I think there's out of the five or six that are out there rolling around, there's really Yours only is the worst. two. No, ours is one of the better. Oh, of course. Uh, ours beyond Van Gogh uh, is is the one that I work with. And then there's another one called the Immersive Experience or the Immersive Van Gogh. So they're not and, connected by anybody? They're not connected only by the uh, the museum in Amsterdam. Uh, the oh, museum... so the main the main uh, the main push is the museum. Yes, yes. Okay. So they've they've uh, they've actually. So uh... Why would you need them? Because because pu- it's all public domain. Uh, Van Gogh's totally public domain yeah. now. So well, the museum, I, well, I guess someone has to fund it. But if there's a way yeah. to make money, you might get some of these some old old school stuff because they don't need permission from anybody. Yeah, I I think they're they're using some of the artwork that uh, they have to have licenses for in some huh. of it. So how it used to work is 100 years, except for France, which is 107 years in the public domain. 
Yeah, I I, I don't know uh-huh. how the the laws which, all work. Which one did I see here in Scottsdale? <clears throat> Do you know? Uh, it it wasn't mine. It was the immersive Van Gogh. Okay. Um, but it's it, there's only two that are truly immersive. The other ones are are more of a large format, just projection sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the ones that uh, like Robert saw and the one that I do is is literally a it's like you're standing inside of the the painting itself and it's animated and the room that you're in is 120 by 80 feet wide. Uh, it's it's a pretty large large area. But, yeah, I got to say the projection cool. mapping and stuff that I saw was it was pretty impressive. That part yeah. of it was really good. I just think of what dreams may come. Remember when he's yeah right. <laughs> I love that movie. Oh, it was great. The artwork oh, stuff was killer. fantastic. Actually worked for the guy who worked on that. He was pretty nut. He would he would do shrooms and come to work. Conversation <laughs> for that movie, very <laughs> <Perfect>. entertaining. Perfect. <laughs> that was fitting for Perfect. the film. It was fitting for the film. They, they definitely got a, one of the top. Yeah. Um, else we got? Okay, so do you guys funny gigs? Maybe even when you were starting, like back in the day, do you guys have any gigs that stand out as like, you know, how the hell are we going to do load in here? Are we seriously playing here? Or who booked this one off? Got any ones that stand out that you guys love? If you want to go first, this <laughs> um, is going to be hilarious if it's the same gig. Is this Whitehall? <laughs> no, not Whitehall. <laughs> no, go ahead. No. Well, I'll ask if you were there because this is how blurry it is to me. Some of it is. <clears throat> were you at the the Head East Joe Cocker Shooting Star thing in Joplin, Missouri? Were you at that? I I don't think so. Where you know you brought this up earlier, where we did the roadie band, the shooting star roadie band. Uh huh. Yeah, I no, I don't think I was at at that one. For some, for some reason, I was thinking you were there. I think I think Fool's Face actually opened that show. It was at some, it was outdoors at some big wooded area in Joplin, I, and I remember it just being sweltering hot. I mean, just beyond hot, you know. And this was this was before Cocker broke with the uh, officer and a gentleman thing with Jennifer Warrens, right? He was still, you know, he was still living on, <laughs> on Woodstock, you know. And I think the the bill was I think it was Fool's Face, Shooting Star, then Joe Cocker, then Head East. I think I'm pretty sure that was the lineup. So Fool's Face plays, everything's cool. Shooting Star plays, everything's cool. Set change. No Joe Cocker. This goes on for a while. He was out with his friends. He was definitely out with his friends. <laughs> Hour goes by, still no Joe Cocker. Promoter comes up, and we're you know we're just all hanging out at that point because we want to see Joe Cocker. And the promoter comes up and goes, "Dude, you got to help us out. Any anybody anybody play anything?" So of course Neil Babe was there. Uh, I don't remember who the whole lineup was in the band. Maybe Pas- was Passarelli there? He might have been there. Anyway, me on drums, Neil singing, playing bass, probably wearing leg warmers, and <laughs> a couple other people in the band. And we were like, well, what songs do we know? So we did four songs, and two of them were Born to be Wild. We did Born to be Wild twice <laughs> in front of the crowd because it's the only thing we could pull together. <clears throat> and we did it on the Joe Cocker back line, you know, so it, it was pretty amazing. Probably went crazy. What's that? He came, he came eventually? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's where I'm coming with it oh, now. Okay, all right. Sorry. Yeah, so we do our part to keep the, to extend the day. Cocker finally shows up, and he's wearing, like, this leather buckskin coat, you know, kind of fringy coat, 
T-shirt underneath, jeans, buckskin boots. You know, I mean, it, it's it's 110 degrees, just sweltering humidity. You raided your closet, Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I so wish yeah. I'd have said that as well. <laughs> and he shows up with a beer in his hand, and I mean, he doesn't look very stable. I'm just thinking, I'm I'm like, okay, he's going to last about five minutes out there. This is this is going to get ugly, you know. Goes out there and plays for about an hour and 20 minutes and just crushed it. I mean, absolutely crushed it. And, you know, and we were all just kind of on the side of the stage, just kind of mesmerized by it, just thinking, okay, that's how you fucking do it right there, man. Yeah. I mean, holy cow, you know. I mean, it was it was impressive. And and then Head East comes on and tries to follow that, right? <laughs> and it didn't go so well, apparently. We were gone by this. Now, I didn't see this part of it, but I saw a couple of pictures of it, I think. But apparently the heady set didn't go well. People got upset, etc. A piano, a, a actual grand piano, got flipped upside down and set on fire, you know <laughs> that kind of thing. So these were the early days, you know. I think that was probably maybe eighty one, eighty two, maybe. You know. You got any ones that stand out, Kevin? Ah, golly. Um... I, I do remember a shooting star show and I don't know whether you were there or not, uh, Robert, but it was, uh, I want to say it was the Kansas state fair. And, uh, we showed up in the morning and naked zoo was doing a audio <laughs> uh-huh. and, uh, I'd brought in a lighting package. And of course there's, it's, it's windy in Kansas <laughs> and we're on a sure. cement slab and they pull their consoles out and they're the first thing off the truck. And they're sitting in the middle of the stage, and the guys turn around and start dumping the rest of the truck. Big wing comes up, and the console's just <laughs> right, right off the edge of the stage. And it's like a seven-foot drop off the side of the stage and destroyed both their audio consoles, the monitor Ooh. desk and the front of house desk. Ooh. Yeah. Did the show go on? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, uh, I don't think I was there for that. Yeah. I, it it, it might have been Weasel at that time. Yeah. Yeah. Best barbecue in uh, what's best barbecue in Kansas City? Oh man, what do you That's think? Which one? Yeah. Gates. Go on. Yeah, no. Um, I love the Gates sandwich or the place that's in the parking lot. There's one that's in no, it's in a it's in a gas station. Yeah, Joe's Joe's is really good. Joe's yeah, barbecue. Good. Um, that's that's actually on uh, Anthony Bourdain's uh, top ten places to eat before you die list. No uh, way. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, I didn't know, know that, that either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like the you, Gates one where they shove all the different types of meats in the sandwich. Yeah, they um they do the the typical platter that usually winds up on the bus for bus food every yeah. every uh, city or every, yeah, every time you're in Kansas City. Yeah, we were just in Kansas City and that's what we had. Yeah, in, us uh, too. Obviously. We were there the week before you guys. But uh, yeah, I'd say um I'd say Smokehouse for uh for uh, burnt ends. Everybody's got like a, a little different specialty. Joe's has probably got some of the better ribs, um, you know, but, uh, yeah, everybody's got a little bit of something that they do best. Mm-hmm. LC's is really good. I don't know. I what do you think there. Mm-hmm. So, I haven't uh, lived there in so long, I don't even know what's, what's there anymore. You're in L.A. now? I'm in Arizona. Oh, okay. So I was putting together this podcast, Buddies Have Kids. My buddy's kid was in elementary school, and she said uh, – with a lot of conviction, actually. She said, you should ask every guest when they first felt famous. So I ask each of you, 
When did you guys first feel famous? Now, I do throw a caveat, which is if you don't feel famous, that's okay. And I'm not saying you should or you shouldn't. I don't give a crap. But <laughs> uh, if if you don't want to say famous for whatever, when was there a kernel in your career, a time that meant something to you that pushed you forward, you feel, in uh, decisions to go the right way or something that happened to you that was a moment? What would each of you guys pick? I, I've just been hanging on to Robert's coattails the whole time. So, you know, yeah. I should have said that as well. He is a mover and a shaker. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's not after too much barbecue. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I don't I know, just... man. Taking the stage in Joplin, opening for Joe Cocker. That was pretty good. That, that is amazing. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I've never felt famous per se. I, I don't think that would be the right word. I've had a lot of surreal moments. Uh yeah, Meeting actually, Rocco was... Reedy, would that be one of your? <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, no. <laughs> oh, Rocco. oh, Rocco, man. Rocco. Rocco's funny. Yeah. He's good. He's infamous. I mean, come on. Um, you know, there's there's been all these moments where, you know, as a kid in high school, for instance, like talking about going to see Jethro Tull, uh, you know, at a concert and then. 10 years later, I'm, I'm working for the guy. Um, you know, I've had a lot of moments where it's been like, wow, is this, is this really happening? And, and, and like working with, with shooting star, we did, we did some dates with Kansas. I was a huge Kansas fan. That was probably one Same of my here. first, first albums that I buy, I think was probably mask um, back in the day. And, and we had a local radio station, KY 102 that at the time was a, was an all album format. So they played albums front to back, both sides of the album, and then they moved on. Um, but they, we did a run uh, with journey in Europe a few years ago, uh, 10 years ago. Um, and, and it was, it was, um, it was journey, uh, foreigner sticks and Kansas on the bill, which, oh. you know, was like, oh, this is like my high school. This is great. <laughs> These are all bands that I'd go see, but it was, it was cool because, Every night, Kansas would sit down in catering, and I'd sit down with all the guys from Kansas, and we would sit and, and BS about the Midwest and growing up, growing up around Kansas City and Lawrence, and you know, going to to bars and and different stuff. And there's, it was it was one of those times where it's just this surreal moment that that it's like, wow, this is this is this is bizarre. You know, these are yeah. guys that that I used to used to you know idolize almost and but, now you're like pass the beans seriously yeah give me the pepper potatoes with <laughs> quit rock starring and give me some give me the cat. <laughs> yeah <laughs> would no you have your roadie pass me the pepper <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool what do you got robert are you starstruck or you don't care <sighs> well i i gotta like when you said it okay like three little things came to mind <clears throat> sure and again, it's, I, it's, I, I can't attach the word famous with this. It's not really famous, but it's just kind of that moment where you kind of think, okay, man, you know, I might do okay here. I might, I might, I might make it in this, you know. And I think it, the first time for me was <clears throat> when I, you know, kind of came from just being this kind of, you know, techie lackey guy at Superior Sounding and actually going on tour with Shooting Star. I, I remember that first truck ride very clearly in my brain, you know, me and Keener and Warren, <laughs> you know, it, but we were going to gigs and, and you know, we had an itinerary. We were going to go, we were going on tour, you know, and, and I, I remember case. at that moment just thinking, <laughs> okay, this is, we're doing okay here for sitting in the middle of the Midwest, 
you know, in Nowheresville here, and we're going to go do some significant things here. This is going to be cool. So that that was one moment. That was a very uh, like a moment of clarity for me, uh, for sure. Yeah. And then the other one is this one. I, I've told this story before, but it's it's so fun to tell. You it. said I, three, I and now you're saying well. There's there's two coming. Okay. So, all right. Uh, <laughs> he can't count. He's yeah, supposed to be the count. count. One, two, one, two, one, two. One, two, one, two. One, two. Yeah. Can I read this yeah. again? This reshaping of. <laughs> anyway, so okay. <laughs> So in 1974, 73, 74, yeah, maybe 72. I, I can't remember exactly. I'd have to look it up. But I went to my first, I got to go to my first rock concert, right? My first actual real rock concert. And my mom took me, right? This is at Key, again, at Keel Auditorium to see Alice Cooper, billion, oh. dollar, billion dollar babies tour, you know, huge, huge deal. So mom takes me to see this tour. And I was a huge Alice fan at the time. I mean, I was so into what they were doing. So here's my mom sitting next to me in this seat in <laughs> Keel Auditorium in her little polyester suit, you know, and her scarf, you know, and we're watching Alice Cooper. Right? So now fast forward, how many years? 10, 12 years, and I'm working for Alice Cooper. I'm mixing Alice Cooper. And we go back to Keel Auditorium. We're going to play the same auditorium where I went to see it with my mom. And That's uh, great. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was a moment, really. So the show is going on, and I had a A2 with me, a guy named Russell. I said, Russell, you're going to have to take the console for a minute. I said, I, I've got to go do something, you know. So I gave him the console, <clears throat> and I walked up to those seats where we sat. Oh, and I man. sat down for a minute and watched the show. And it was just kind of this moment of, yeah, okay, doing okay. Doing okay right now. Gonna, we're what gonna... about the people in the seats? Did you get, kick them out? Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> pass them a joint, whatever. You know, they were fine. You know, just, here, smoke Excuse this. Excuse me, I have a moment in these seats. Yeah. Don't you know who I am? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me explain who I am. <laughs> so, what year was the Alice Cooper one? That was in 74? Yeah. It might have been earlier than that because it was Billion Dollar Babies Tour. I remember that. Okay. So it, it had to be, man, it had to be 72, 73, 74, somewhere around there. I'm sure I still got the tickets up somewhere. Oh, that's super cool. Yeah, so that was a cool moment. Now the other the other moment, and I like to brag on this one. I don't mind telling you. So okay, yeah. I I'm a Helen Mirren fan. I love her, Helen Mirren. I have a crush on this. <laughs> she was super okay. babe when she was young. Amazing. She's, She's super babe hot. now. Just <laughs> don't even go there. All right, I'll be careful here. Yeah. So we're playing Royal Albert Hall in, with Petty. You know, <laughs> Kevin knows where we're going here. Yeah, I know this one. So <laughs> she's at the show. Right. And, you know, obviously she's not out in front of house or anything like this, but I go back to the dressing room after the show and she's there and she's going on and on about the sound of the show. And I'm just melting. You know, I'm just a melting puddle of manhood <laughs> at this point. Can't Mike Campbell introduces her to me and we start to talk and we have this beautiful, just fantastic little conversation. You know, I mean, I'm on cloud nine, of course. I'm just I mean, I haven't been starstruck been like, too you many know, times. You're pretty good at acting, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I probably said something that stupid, you know. So this goes on, and we kind of go our ways, you know, carry on. And a couple of years later, we are at uh, Music Cares with Petty. He's he's the honoree for Music Cares. And I didn't know it, but she was at the show. So we're backstage. <clears throat> Jackson Brown I don't. I I think Thurston might have been there. I think it was Jackson Thurston, and Helen Mirren are there talking, and I come walking up. And before Jackson can say, "Helen, this is Robert," you know, blah blah blah, she goes, "Oh, Robert," and and like remembers me, right? 
So now I'm just completely useless. I can't, I can't talk. I'm, <laughs> I'm just completely, completely done. So that was, that was a big moment for me. What, what, he's, what he's not sharing there though, is he had a badge on that says, well, my name is Robert. <laughs> right. If you're Helen, I'm Robert. Yes. That's what my badge would have said. Yes. So yeah, that was a, that was a big moment for me. I, like I said, I don't, I don't get Star Trek very often, but that was pretty cool. I've got a friend right now. I was out to lunch with another friend and they need private drivers for celebrity guys. And so one of the questions is you, you can't get starstruck. You, you got to leave him alone. You're just a driver. I'm like, all my buddy does is he reads. He goes to the bar. I know him from the bar. He just sits in a corner and he reads. All he cares about is reading. He's a quiet dude. And so they're like, he's a shoo-in. So they asked him in the interview, is there anybody that you met, you know, where you'd be starstruck? And he's like, well, I met, uh, what's his name? The guy who wrote four, four, uh, Fahrenheit 451. Kurt Vonnegut. He's like, I met Kurt Vonnegut. He was behind me in line. And I just think when the, the guy who was doing the interview kind of like, yeah, it's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, that's not, really not, yeah. not the guy that caused problems, but okay. <laughs> um, is there any, is there any like wind up stories that you remember from any tours where the, you know, they pulled some crap? As you as a stage manager, do you deal with that? Or you're like, hell no, Kevin, we ain't doing that. No, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's way, <laughs> oh, way like oh, no. Kevin. I, I'm the instigator. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the – did you – okay, I'm skipping a bit. Did you do Alice in Chains when Lane Staley was alive or yes. after? Oh, No, wow. during, during Lane's Lane, – Lane was there, definitely. Wow. So what was that like? Um, Were you a big awesome. fan? Because I'm a big fan, so uh, – you know, it's, it's, I, I wasn't a fan originally, but, uh, you know, watching those guys on stage every night and the same thing with, with Petty. I really, I mean, Petty really wasn't on my radar a whole bunch until I started working for him and, and just watching some of these guys, you know, Alice in Chains and, and Mary Chapin Carpenter, um, Petty and the Heartbreakers, all those people, uh, I have a, 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 a big respect for because their live shows, I think are, are much better than, than a lot of their, their uh, radio stuff that comes out on albums. And, well, and Petty, the thing is it's song for song for song for song. None of them are songs to skip. You're totally no, fine. And, and, yeah. and I think as, as the heartbreakers went on in their careers, I mean, I, I think they were tighter as a band on this last tour that we did than they ever had been previously. Yeah, I would and, agree and with that. Yep. I, I think they just got better and better and better every single year. You know, well, they kind of regrew into a band, didn't they? I, I mean, I, I I look at Petty's, like, uh, the width of his work there with, with the Heartbreakers. And there were, the, the Heartbreakers grew through two bands. They grew th with Stan Lynch. And then once Ferroni and Thurston kind of came involved, they had to kind of do, do this entire growth cycle as a band. And it definitely peaked on that 2017 tour. They were, they were locked in on that tour, mm. unlike anything I had done with them before. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, yeah, it was good. Yeah. With Lane, not to jump back, I'm not trying to push off Tom Petty. I love yeah. Tom Petty. Oh, that's okay. But um, was he all drugged out the whole time? Was it really difficult to work with that guy or um, were there good moments? No, not at all. I, I mean, there were there were a lot of good moments. Um, yeah. I, I, so, for instance, um, you know, Lane, and I think this is probably the same for a lot of, a lot of art, artists that have um, addiction issues, um, I, I think they probably have a, a better support network when they're out on the road touring, mm -hmm. um, which which may sound a little, you know, contradictory, but but it's not. 
and, and this is, for instance, this is um, what happened at the beginning of Lollapalooza is uh, in 93, it would have been that, yeah, that Lollapalooza, uh, Susan sat us all down as a road crew and basically said, look, you guys need to keep an eye on on Lane and the band um, because if if we miss a show, uh, the way the contract's written, uh, they were going to be responsible for any loss of revenue to the festival, uh, which which Oof. could have been pretty substantial. Yeah, uh, but there were there were times where we would go out, you know, as as a unit, as band and crew, and uh, you know, Lane would get up and go to the bathroom or something, and then everybody's kind of realizing, wait, he hasn't come back, and so we'd have to send out a search party to find him and make sure that he was okay. But you know it. it there were a lot of times like that, but those guys, those guys are all great guys. I mean, they, yeah. and, and solid musicians, you know, and, oh, yeah. and I'm still friends with, with Mikey Inez, you know, those, they're just good people. And Mike Inez is, is just a sweetheart, sweetheart of a guy. You know? but, I had him it, on. He said he didn't like you. <laughs> do you got well, Mike's number? Can I, call I do him? actually. Yeah. <laughs> I just calling? want to check in and see what he's using. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I would kind of parallel some things that Kevin was implying there, because uh, I've seen it with acts that I've worked for as well. Uh, I mean, Steve Clark with Def Leppard would be a perfect example of one who, yeah. when he was on tour, when he was working, he was way better than he w when he was on his own and in isolation and other stuff with his addictions. You know, well, maybe it's the idle hands of the devil type stuff. I, th I think that's absolutely a piece of it, you know. So, yeah. you know, I, and I think, you know, I. I feel comfortable saying, you know, given Def Leppard's history of r making records, which would take forever, that was not Steve Clark's place. Yeah, he, he was not in that. You know, only only on kind of on the periphery. You know, when he was doing parts, the rest of the time was just waiting, which was horrifying for him. You know, mm. just he wanted to be playing in front of people. Period. End of story. You know. Yeah. What are some of your windups, <clears throat> Kevin? What do you got? Oh. Wow. The list is long, isn't it, Kevin? Yeah. Well, I mean, let's just pull a couple of petties out. Um, for Robert, <laughs> um, yeah, he, he would do his uh, his classes every day, so it became a chat. At the end of every class, he would do this this class with all his his uh, sycophants. Uh, I mean, students. <laughs> um, and at the the end of that, they would all get a picture with Robert around the console in front of house, and and. I actually was able to to uh, enlist the services of his front of house person that would call me towards the end of his classes. I see. Now the truth <laughs> comes out. Yes. Well, it didn't start off that way. <laughs> but uh, at the end of the class, uh, he would kind of let me know, and and myself and uh, you know, Steve Steve Winstead, the Mike's Mike's guitar <laughs> tech, uh, would generally try to pop up in the photo, and uh, every day. So they'd wind up getting this photo published, and somewhere in the background would be myself and, and Steve Winstead in all these You know, photos. you'd think for as often as you were in the class, you want to learn something, but no, just there for the picture. No, just no, it took, for the picture. took me a long time to, to figure it all out. Um, there's another <laughs> You're good probably one. in 90% of the pictures. I mean, I've looked through them. He's like, yep. <laughs> there, there you ever are. seen the movie Zelig? <laughs> I mean, he's like the Zelig of the lighting crew there. <laughs> uh, we did... Um, uh, we did a petty tour and, and our stage manager, Larry Yeager, was unable to be at the very last show. <laughs> and this actually became a, a, a crew wide thing. But Larry left his work box uh, and it was going to be shipped after the last show. Always and Larry wasn't there. So I actually we 
I went and bought like, I don't know, two, 300 ping pong balls. And, uh, every, we basically had a craft day, uh, backstage. So everybody in on the tour would come along and decorate a ping pong ball. And, uh, we, we stuffed, I literally turned his box on its back so that we could get more stuff inside of it. But, uh, we stuffed this, this box with ping pong balls and, uh, packing peanuts and then locked it up and sent it on its way. And, uh, Speaking to Larry when he got the box, <laughs> he, had, <laughs> he, he was living in Illinois at the time, out in the middle of the country, and he, he got the box, opened it up in his driveway, <laughs> and I guess there's still packing peanuts drifting across Illinois somewhere, but there was millions <laughs> of packing peanuts and ping pong balls all over his driveway. <laughs> so he called, how did the last show go? Like, oh, <laughs> it was <small>. great. <laughs> yeah. I had plenty of time. <laughs> you know, we had... Um... I don't know. I don't know her name, but Tom Petty's wife uh, when he passed. So uh, where I lived, she's friends with some of the friends I'm with, and they did a themed New Year's party, and uh, it was Rock Star Night or something, you know. So I dressed up as a roadie actually, uh, which basically I wore stanky clothes and nobody talked to me all night. <laughs> but, but he, my friend, he dressed up as Tom Petty. And then she oh, shows awesome. up, and I'm like, ooh, ooh and, maybe too soon, right? Well, you know what? She was she was a trooper. She was really cool. I think she had a fun time that night. And I hope she did because he had just passed away just really not very long before New Year's. Yeah. And she ended up, uh, she danced with him. She asked him for a dance. And so she danced with the fake Tom Petty. And I was like, nice, oh, that was a nice, nice. thing. I'm oh, sure she cool. was great about it. She was. She was. She was nice. She was very nice. It was a fun yeah. story. Yeah. Dana's a sweetheart. Yeah, she is. Yeah, it was good. Well, I do. wind up, huh? Yeah, have you got any other good ones? Shoot away. Oh, gosh. Let's see. I, I, you know, one of the funny ones I, I remember doing on Def Leppard um, was we had a monitor guy named Phil Wilkie, nicknamed Side Phil. Okay. And he was always going on in catering about broccoli. Hated broccoli. I hate broccoli. Why are they bring broccoli in the catering? I Get that shit out of here. Have a... So one day somebody got the bright idea to take his talkback mic, which he would use to check monitors and everything, unscrew the capsule, and put a little piece of broccoli in there and put it back in there, which is all fine until you realize that after a day or so, that broccoli smells like, <laughs> I mean, maybe the worst thing you've ever smelled in your life. So, <laughs> putting the mic up to his mouth going, what the fuck? Where has this thing been, you know? So that became this regular routine. He'd replace the mic. Give me another mic, you know. A day later, put a little broccoli in it. It was just this <laughs> ongoing thing. How nice of you. It was funny. It Way was to funny. kind of get him to conquer his fears. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, the other, another really though. funny one I remember from Matchbox 20. This was, and this got captured on film. This got be, this got immortalized in film. Was we had, uh, we were in Australia. And we had, we had on the tour, we had this thing called blue stealing somebody yet. You were going to blue steal somebody because we, they were using blue steel guitar strings on the tour, just going through boxes of them, you know, every day. So, and in everything, it was every one, there was a blue steel sticker, a little square blue steel sticker. So if you got blue steeled, what would happen would be somehow someone got a hold of your suitcase, would open it up right before you go home and blue steel sticker, the entire inside of your suitcase, close it up. And you wouldn't see it till you got home. And this was all fun and games. It was all fun, et cetera. But it, it went next level when we got to Australia. So we got to Australia. We're at an after show, and David Hasselhoff is there. Right? <laughs> and 
And, you know, I mean, I'll say it here. You know, everybody was kind of good vibing David Hasselhoff. You know, hey, yeah, you know. Was he singing or he just came to hang? No, he just came to hang. Just came to be a cool guy. So it kind of went around, we're going to blue steel David Hasselhoff. We're going to blue steel David Hasselhoff. I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? He goes, watch. So every time he would come by, somebody put a blue steel sticker on his back. (laughs) So by the end of this party, this guy's back sleeves covered in blue steel stickers you know wasn't he kind of like why is everyone touching me no, I, I you know who knows i don't know it, it's but it's on film like they were filming down there for the matchbox 20 you know anthology film or whatever and it made the film so, all right <laughs> it was pretty cool it was pretty funny it, it definitely kept everybody kind of coming to the party they're blue steel and hasselhoff come on in you know so did you get your sticker on there oh yeah oh yeah you got it at the butt right you got down <laughs> no 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 okay Come on, Robert. Just because he's tall. He's a tall guy. Are you saying I'm short? What's going on? Uh, Where are you coming know. with this? Okay, interview's done. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. See, those ones are fun. I like the differences. The, the Some of them, it's the same stuff or whatever. But every now and then you hear ones from like, that's inventive. That's a good one. I'll give Campbell you a great Lone one. Had it, some, like, crazy for my money, this goes down as one of the all-time greats. And it, Kevin, do you know Brian Brown? Guitar ready? Guitar sound guy? I don't think so. I did guitars for everybody. I it, but this this again this one was immortalized on film. We got this on film, so I can verify this for anybody that wants to see it. So we're out with Rick Springfield, right? Jesse's girl, right? So at one point in the show, every night, Rick is standing way downstage. We had this big thrust, and he's standing downstage, and he's going to start Jesse's girl. So all these spotlights hit him. I mean, this big array of spotlights. And Brian is to throw out this Telecaster from, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet away. <sighs> Telecaster through the air. Rick grabs it. Strap on. Jesse's girl. Right. Here we go. So last night of the tour, everybody knows the pranks are on. Right. The pranks are on. So everybody, I, I mean, certainly all the backline guys and everybody were like, okay, wait, wait till you see what Brown is going to do. Wait till you see what Brown is going to do. So. Part in the show comes, spotlights. Instead of a guitar, here comes this. It had to be a 30 or 40 pound fish right out of right out of the tank. I mean, it was still wet, just flopping through the air. And Springfield came out of his pants, man. I mean, he was, I couldn't get away from it fast enough. And it lands dead center on the deck. We have video crew on the thing. All cameras go to the fish. It's on all the screens. I mean, it was just a an absolutely fantastic moment. Absolutely fantastic moment. Didn't That's... he didn't get the guitar the whole night? He got something he play different the song? every time. No, oh, they played the song. Yeah, somebody else started the song and they played it. Hmm. Yeah, like I say, yeah. I, you know, last night of the tour, all bets are off, man. Things yeah. are going to happen when the yeah, fish comes I, out. When the I did. Fish uh... comes out. I did a, a last night of the tour thing with Maiden where Nico, the, the drummer, was was on a children's show called Sooty back when he was a little kid. And it's a, a bear. It's a thing in the UK. But uh, the production manager went and rented a Sooty sh- suit and <laughs> had me <laughs> climb into the lighting rig in this bear costume. And I had to wait till the middle of a drum solo. And I rappelled down in front of of Nico <laughs> during during this drum solo in this bear outfit. As Sooty? As Sooty, the bear. That's so good. <laughs> Nico thought it was the funniest thing ever. 
And of course, Bruce felt upstage. So he chased, literally chased me around the stage. <laughs> and, you know, I'm running around in this bear outfit with this giant bear head on me. And he, he finally caught me and tore the head off. And it's like, oh, it's the septic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I walk off. <laughs> That's very... Oh, so good. Yeah, yeah. That's a good one. That's a cool one. Well, gentlemen, I do appreciate your time. If you do have any more, you can continue to share them. But if not, thank <laughs> Dude, you for I the ones you shared. We could be here for hours, honestly, yeah. after 40 plus years of this crap. Yeah. Well, cool. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you, man. Thanks for the invite. Thanks, Thanks for watching. Don't forget to like and subscribe by clicking the round button on the bottom right. To learn more about me or the guests on the show, go to joelrody.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. The handle's Joel Rody. And don't forget, when you party like a rock star, don't be a dick. <laughs>